have you, but God gave confirmation uh, uh, with what we've experienced here when we started our worship with how the Spirit of God has moved. Uh, and uh, you're going to, um, you're probably going to say, why? Uh, why do we need to hear this message? But um, uh, it is very important in this day and hour that we live in. I want to get started. Uh, it's already after after three. We're going to be going to the book of John, chapter five, and we're going to read the first nine verses of John's gospel. John chapter five and verses one through nine. You pray for Pastor uh, that my voice will hold up to where I can uh, minister. Uh, we, I'm not planning on holding you uh, long, but I do want to get out a word that God has placed in my spirit. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. I'd say the water's got stirred in the house today. Wouldn't you think so? Hallelujah. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. That is reading from St. John's Gospel, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Brother uh, Douglas, would you ask the blessing of the reading God's Word today? Everybody say amen. amen. How to shake somebody's hand and say, I'm glad you've got the chance to see me today. We didn't do our, we didn't do our regular meet and greet, so we'll, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. By the grace of God, I want to speak to you for a few minutes on a subject titled, The Pitfall of Routine Religion. Now, what we've had around here today is far from routine. Hallelujah. I want to talk about the pitfall of routine religion. This world is in a free fall headed down. And the problem is not just with politics. It's not just with Hollywood. But it's everything come together that the people of God is having to fight today. With all the problems and the situations and the healings and deliverance that needs to take place 
in this world before Jesus comes. Brother Mabry, we cannot afford to sit back and have a routine religion. As we sing a song around here, I won't be satisfied with the ordinary. Ordinary church won't give Rebecca what she got here today. You don't get that at ordinary church. You don't get that from routine religion. We can't afford. We're fighting battles and struggles. Many of you sitting here today, you got your own personal battles that you're fighting with. You got to, when you come to the house of God, you got to have something more than the ordinary. You cannot afford to be caught up in routine religion and same old church. Now it's been several years since I've spoken on the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And since it fits well with the message that I feel led in my spirit today, I believe we're going to open up the cold case files as it was. And some of you know what I'm talking about when I say the cold case files. Hallelujah. We're going to open up the cold case files today on this story and investigate I ain't, we're not going to talk about his healing, but we're going to find out what was wrong. His 38-year ordeal of habitual religious ritual where he never got delivered. Because I believe it is a prime example of the pitfall of routine religion. With people dying lost, drugs running rapid, people being slaughtered on our streets due to drugs and, and uh, killed because of alcoholism and DUIs and everything that were going on. Church, God says we've got to get away from the routine. I don't know how you feel about it, but I've got too much stuff going on in my life to be messed up with a routine religion. To go on and sit down and be satisfied with just, amen, a program set aside and designed by some man, amen, and figuring out some kind of program to say, well, we're going to do this many songs, and we're going to do this here, amen, and we're going to preach this long, amen, and we program the Holy Ghost from out of the service. Hallelujah. We cannot afford that kind of routine no longer. Come on, give the Lord a praise right now. Hallelujah. Now I went to the dictionary and seen, to see what uh, Mr. Uh, Webster had to say about this word called routine. And this is what it said. A habitual or mechanical performance of established procedure. Did you get that? Routine means a habitual or mechanical performance of established procedure. 
You see, church, when you fall into a routine, you become like someone in a hypnotic trance. There are no emotions or feelings. Everything is mechanical. As you become more captivated by the routine, your actions become predictable and your life becomes dull. Amen. And and mundane. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at your neighbor and say, we cannot have routine church. Hallelujah. This was the way that the man at the pool of Bethesda lived. It was one mundane, routine thing that lasted 38 years. Hallelujah. He was paralyzed. He needed deliverance. And so there was a routine to where somebody would bring him every day because, well, let's just put it like this. Let's say, let let me call this man's name, uh, let me just call him uh, Joseph is a good biblical name. The Bible don't give his name just for for benefit of talking. Let's just talk about Joseph. Here was Joseph, a man paralyzed. He was born in a day and hour there was no medical miracles taking place. They did not have the knowledge in that day as they've got today where they can pull somebody's heart out, amen, and work on it and keep that person alive and put their heart back in or give them a new heart or whatever, amen. Amen. Back in that day, you were were better off. Sometimes we're better off today not go to the doctors, but you for sure was better off not go to the doctors. The doctor back then, Joseph, he just, he went to a place because he was told, listen, there's a place down here called Bethesda. It's got a good name because in the Hebrew, Bethesda means house of mercy. That's what that word means in Hebrew. And he was told that, you know, if you go down there, there's a lot of people going down there that's got all kind of illnesses and all kind of sickness and everything wrong with him. And if you go down there, there's an angel that comes and troubles the water. Ever so often, you can get healed. So he goes, and he gets into a routine. You see, Joseph, uh, he was a regular churchgoer. Because he was down at the house of Bethesda every day of his life. He was faithful in attendance. He followed the program. He listened to the testimonies of others. He repeated the same thing every day for 38 years. Oh, I wish somebody would listen to what I'm saying. Somebody should have told him. Somebody looks like to me. Maybe he should have figured it out. I don't know. Hallelujah. Day in and day out. Amen. He went to church. He was regular. He was always there. Amen. But his life became routine over and over again. Amen. With the mundane. Somebody looks like to me should have got to him and told Joseph that if you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to keep getting the same thing you always got. Somebody needs to listen to what preacher is saying today here. Glory to God. we got to get beyond the routine. And with the 
just like a lot of people today. You know, Pentecostal people, they got a habit of looking at other churches and accusing them of having a program. But I'm going to tell you something. And I've been in the Pentecostal movement long enough to be able to make some comments. But there is just as much program and routine going on in Pentecostal churches today as any other church anywhere else. Hallelujah. We have become mechanical. Let, let, me, let me talk to you just a few minutes. Hallelujah. Some people become mechanical and routine in their worship. Oh, yeah, they'll say praise the Lord, but it comes from the lips, not from the heart. Yeah, they lift their hands, but it's a mechanical thing. They've been trained to lift their hands at a certain time. Somebody needs to listen to what I'm saying. Hey, hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. We have become professional singers, professional musicians, professional speakers. Amen. Just like everybody else. And as I heard somebody at a conference say one time, we done got to the point in place. We got this thing down so pat that, sister, we can have church where the Holy Ghost shows up or not. But let me ask you a question. Is there any delivering power in that kind of thing? Can anybody get saved in that kind of atmosphere? Can anybody get healed in that kind of atmosphere? Hallelujah. Brother Douglas, we got to get beyond the routine. We, there's too many people dying and going to hell. I've got people in my family. You've got people in your family. I know you want to see them saved and living in the house of God. Maybe not here, but at least somewhere. Hallelujah. And we have got to get out of the routine, ordinary stuff. we got to kick through that mess and let the Holy Ghost have His way. Hallelujah. 38 years. That's a lifetime. Hallelujah. Most people stay at a job 38 years. They begin, they're thinking about retirement. They're thinking about fishing. Hallelujah. It's a long time for not be, to not be delivered. Hallelujah. There's a couple things I want to share with you. And that is, the ha- number one, the habit of waiting on others. Look at your neighbor and say, I have a feeling the preacher's fixing to get on our toes. The habit of waiting on others. When Jesus came by that day and he saw this man... The Bible said he knew he'd been that way a long time. Jesus knows more about you than you know about yourself. You know that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now here's something that's mind-boggling to me. Jesus, come here, Paul. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. I just have to pick on you. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Come get you. I want you to sit down for this lady. Now, here's something that's mind-boggling. Here's this brother. He'd been going through this thing for 38 years. It's, been a, it's become a routine for him. He don't know where else to go. There's, no, there's been no rumors about nowhere else in town that possibility something might happen. But he, he has gotten into the routine so much that he has gained the habit of waiting on somebody else. See, if he was paralyzed, somebody had to get him there. He couldn't get there by himself. Hallelujah. I mean, so he has developed a habit of waiting on somebody else. Because when Jesus walks by, he says, Do you want to be healed? Now stop and think about that for a moment. Do you want to be healed? He's been going through the routine so long, his mind's already pre-focused. I guarantee you, brother, if Jesus passed by me and asked me if I wanted to be healed, I'd say, yes, sir! But this man has gotten such a habit. He's gotten such a routine. Thank you, Paul. When Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed, wanted to be made whole, he didn't say, yeah. He was waiting on somebody else. God's trying to talk to somebody in this house. That was the healer. That was the lame man healer. That was the sea walker. That was that leper cleansing man from Galilee asking this man, do you want to be healed? And he didn't even say yes. But he says, nobody will put me in the water. He had got gotten into the habit of waiting on others. You know what? At least one day, if I realized everybody else was getting up and getting down there, before me, whoever was taking me there every day, I at least told him, I said, listen here, you push me, you, you, you lay me down right on the edge. Hallelujah. Amen. Because if the guy wasn't going to stay there, who brought me there to put me in, and I looked and I seen that water begin to move, I would start rolling. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. He might not have been able to walk, but he could have rolled. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Right up. But no. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, nobody put me in the water. He had developed the habit of waiting on others. Now, I'm pastor here, and uh, I can say some things, amen, that uh, other ministers can't say to you because I, I, I'm your shepherd. I'm the one of God that God put me in charge. I'm the one responsible for your souls. 
I've got people here. You come here and you feel the Lord moving, but you're always out of the corner of your eyes waiting on others. You won't lift a hand until somebody else starts lifting the hand. You won't stand up until some others will stand up. You won't get up and run unless somebody else goes first. You're always waiting on somebody else. Hallelujah. And when you get to the point and place where everybody in the house is always waiting on somebody else to do the moving, guess what? We're going to have routine church. We're going to go through the motions. We're going to say, amen, dismiss, see you next week and go home, and nobody's going to get nothing. Hallelujah. Amen. And then before you know it, you'll find yourself blaming everybody else in the congregation from the pastor on down for your lack of action. Well, pastor didn't get anointed this week. Let me tell you something about pastor getting anointed. The way you worship before pastor gets up here to preach has a whole lot to do with how well he can get anointed and preach. Because the worship service creates the atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to step in and do what the Holy Ghost needs to do. And if you come in here, amen, and you sit on your seat and you won't lift a hand, you won't worship, hallelujah, amen, you won't do anything because you're always waiting on somebody else to do it. Don't, don't come don't come knocking at my door and saying maybe we need to get another preacher because he don't ever need to get anointed. Hello, somebody. Hallelujah. We get into a habit of waiting on others to see what somebody else is going to do. Hallelujah. We've got to get out of that habit. It's just... It's amazing when Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well or not, if he wanted to be well. Nobody put me in the water. Jesus had showed up. Well, that's exactly right, brother. At that point, the water didn't matter. Hallelujah. He was a living water. And then when he told the woman to dwell... He said, he said, if you'll just ask for me, I could give you a drink of living water. It's because we get ourselves in a habit. What's the musicians going to do? What's the choir going to do? What's the, uh, the uh, uh, praise team going to do? I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we don't do some moving ourselves, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be like a lot of the stuff in the gardens are right now. We're gonna dry up on the vine. Second Kings seven and three. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, "Why are we sitting here until we die?" 
Now, everybody, I think, remembers that story. It's not been long. I think Brother Bobby mentioned something about this a few weeks back. I think about that all. The city was shut up tight because there was a foreign army on the outskirts, the Syrians. And that's the way they did things back in those days. When an army come in and wanted to conquer a city that had walls around it, they didn't just come in there and try to knock the walls down because they'd be on, on top of the walls shooting off, throwing off, throwing off hot grease on them and, and rocks and, and spears and, and everything else. So what they did is they put a perimeter around that city. And guess what? It wouldn't be long that all the food and water would be gone inside the walls of the city. And there'd be a famine. And if it gets bad enough, the day would come, they'd just open up the doors and say, well, come on, take us captive. At least we, we still get something to eat. Well, that's what was going on. There was four lepers men sitting there. They knew there was no food inside the city. They knew the enemy was out there just a mile or two away. And you know what they said? They began to finally look at one another and said, You know what? We've sat here long enough. Why are we going to sit here till we die? If we get if we go in the city, there's no food there. He said, But we get up and we go if we go towards the enemy's camp. He said, Preventually they will he says He said, They might they might kill us. But preventually he says they, they they might give us something to eat. But in any event Whichever direction we go, we're going to die if we keep sitting here. And God is telling His church today, Church, you're going to die and drop on the vine sitting, sitting in the pews of the church if you just keep sitting there. Now, like I said a while ago, I said, Man, the service I mean, we had here today and how the Holy Ghost has come through. Amen. I, I'm thankful for our congregation that this that this ain't a once-in-a-great-while once thing, but God blesses us a whole lot like this. We have the anointing here. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful. But overall, the church as a whole is finding themselves in a routine. And a lot of them are our brothers and our sisters, the people that we fellowship with. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. I, 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 hate, I hate to say this. I hate to say this. I mean, but there, there are some times that, I, that, I, that I'll, I'll go to a fellowship meeting, and, and when I leave, I feel worse than when I got there. Why? No moving. No moving. There's a routine. You kind of expect, you kind of know what's going to happen next. Hallelujah, same old, same old. Hallelujah. And it ought not be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Hallelujah. And like I said a while ago, folks, I'm going to tell you something. For my own soul's sake, for my family's sake, I'm not, I'm not going to be trapped in a church that don't have anything but a routine. I may love the people, might have good fellowship, good brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. But there's something here more, more important than just our mutual friendship. 
And that's our souls. That's our souls. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Brother Paul here, he's, this, is, this church is all he's ever known. But I believe he's gotten far enough in God and grown far enough in God to know that if this pastor or this church can't feed him, he ain't going to sit there and dry up and die. You've got to have, you listen, loyalty to your church and to your pastor is one thing, but loyalty to God is first and foremost. Do you hear what I'm saying? We cannot afford routine church. We've got to keep the fire of God going, and we cannot get in the habit of waiting on other people. I'm going to quit there, and I'm going to go to the final point, and I'm going to close. Let me talk just a little bit about tradition or revival. You know what I found out? You can't have both. Tradition or revival. Most of the time you're not going to have both. Because tradition will interfere with revival. Tradition told the man not to pick up his bed on the Sabbath day when Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Amen? You remember, that was on the Sabbath. The Jews had their tradition. You didn't do... They Listen, somebody said, but you know, the law of Moses talked about remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let me tell you, do you, do you know those Pharisees and Sadducees they took the law of Moses and they tacked on some 700 and something, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, 700 and something more guidelines and rules on top of the law than what Moses had, requiring people to go by every little thing, all kind of regulations of men. Hallelujah. If you don't do everything my way, I'm not going to show you no respect. Come on, somebody. It's tradition of men. It is. Hallelujah. The law of Moses said to uh, uh, honor and keep the Sabbath, but they took it too far. Those Jews back in that day, one of their laws they added, you, could, you couldn't even walk over. What were, they called it a Sabbath. You, I know you remember, some of you remember reading a Sabbath day's journey. That, sa- that was so far, so, so many furlongs you could walk on the Sabbath day, and you could not go over that. Just hang it up. Some of, you, some of y'all uh, uh, mothers with, uh, with toddlers decide to get out and start uh, going and take off down the road. If that child got further down the road, what you're allowed to go on the Sabbath, and it was Sabbath, you couldn't go get that child. You hear what I'm saying? That, and you can look in your Bible, Sabbath day's journey, and you can check and find out. You can look up well, what a, how long that was. I don't remember that. Uh, I used to know, but it's, it's, it slipped my mind. But anyway, it was the Pharisees who came up with the thought about the Sabbath day journey, not the law of Moses. 
Judah says, take up your bed and walk. If he would have followed tradition, he'd done been there 38 years. How, many, how, how much longer would he have been there? He would have died there. He'd been there the rest of his life if he'd followed tradition. That's what I'm telling you, folks. Don't be guided by tradition. Don't be guided by men. The only thing you should be guided by is by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. That should be your guideline. Hallelujah. I'm trying to get through this. You bear with me. Many things we do or don't do out of habit and tradition. Many times we don't even remember why we, we do what we do. You know what people get in the habit and the tradition of doing things? And if that tradition is carried on long enough, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's been a recent um, interest in the Hatfields and McCoys. You know, they, it came on TV and they're watching that program and they, 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 they played it night and day for I don't know how long over and over again. Uh, and uh, people's gotten interested in that. And you know what? What's interesting about that? They, they, they get, even in the movie, they give you two or three things of why they think now what started the feud. But th- can't nobody tell you for sure exactly what started the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys. And even those fighting it after they got down uh, for a uh, for hundred years or two hundred years still fighting or however the families went on, they still fought. They can't tell you why they really was fighting, but they were still fighting. That's the way it is for tradition. Uh, I read something interesting uh, about happening in Russia. Now, you might be surprised, but Russia is a country that's got some castles, got a few castles. Because Russia used to be ruled by kings and queens. If you study uh, history way before it became Russian, and the Soviets took over and all that. You go on back 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. They had kings and queens. Maybe you have heard of the name of Catherine the Great. She was she was king there in that area. She was queen there in that area. And uh, there was a visitor one time visiting one of the castles. And they seen this guard standing out, not not at the castle, but there was a walkway going up. And all was there was just some grass on the grassy point. Here, here, here was this guard standing there at attention. And they noticed every time they went by there, the guard was always standing there. Finally, they stopped and asked us, how come you stand there? And... Uh, they wouldn't like they are over uh, in England, you know. They, they, they you know, they, you can make all kind of funny sights and sounds. Those guys just look straight ahead, you know. Don't say nothing. But he says, I don't know. I'm you know, told by the captain of the guard to stand, to stand watch right here. So they took it on a little farther, and they went to the captain of the guard. And uh, the captain of guard says. I don't know, says, it, it's, it was on the books, it's been recorded for, for, for many years, 
that there should be a guard standing over there where that guard's standing. So they took it. Now this was like uh, this was this was almost the fall of, uh, of, of, the, of the of the kings and stuff. It, this was um, uh, at least two hundred years had passed, and they traced that back till the time of Catherine the Great. And Catherine the Great, when she was queen of Prussia, she had had a, a, a real pretty rose bush planted right there. And every time Catherine would take a walk along the path, most of the roses would be gone. She couldn't figure it out. It wasn't diseased. They walked, they took care of it, but the rose was gone. Well, come to find out, there were people going by, seeing the pretty roses, clipping them, taking them. So Catherine ordered a guard, her being the queen, and she had the guard to stand there right beside that rose bush because as long as the guard was sitting there, wouldn't nobody come and mess with the queen's roses. But guess what? Catherine died. Nobody tended the rose bush the rose bush died and withered and grew, uh, drawed away and just completely gone to the point there was nothing there no more. And 150 years had passed, and every, uh, every from, uh, from one king to other, the captain of a guard, rather, just by going by the tradition that there's always been somebody standing at that spot. But they didn't know why they were standing there. There was no rose bush no more. It had been gone 150 years, but yet there's a guard there. They was doing it by tradition. And we get involved in the same kind of traditions in the church today. We do it because mama did it that way or grandmama did it that way. Come on, somebody. This is the way we've always done it. But like I said a while ago, if you want to, if you want to continue getting the same results, you keep doing what you keep doing. But if you want the results changed, what do you got to do? Hallelujah! Let's everybody stand. I'm not finished, but I'm gonna be kind to you. I've gotten the thought across that the Lord has given to me. And what I want to leave with you before we dismiss, whatever it takes, church, whatever it takes to keep what we got going on right here. And I know we got a lot of issues that we're battling. Got struggles, and we, you know, we lost our church house. And afar, and we're trying to get things. And even though it's been longer than what any of us imagined at the beginning, but yet we are going back home. And and we're going to wind up with something bigger and better than what we had. 
every time I get down and I feel the weight that I carry as pastor, God always sends somebody out of the ordinary to speak a confirmation word to keep me going. I got another one just the other day. I've never been a patient man. It's been hard. And I know that's bad to confess when you're a preacher. But I mean, that's, that's always been one of my issues. I'm not very patient. You know, I mean, I want to get something. When I, got, when I got something to do, I want to get it done. Get it over with, you know. And uh, God God is teaching me some patience here. And I think he's teaching some of y'all some of the same thing. God's going to do what he wants to do on his time. But what we got to do in the meantime is don't get caught up in the rest of the stuff to where we kill the presence of God and we get ourselves in a routine. What we had here today and what we've been having, we can't let it be just a once and every now and then. We've got to keep the presence of God. We can't, we can't afford to get into a routine of mundane stuff because we need the power of God moving right now more than any time we ever need, needed it. And I'm proud because I'm not saying this bragging, but I'm going to tell you what. The Spirit and the Holy Ghost and the anointing that we can find, and even though our congregation is small, you don't find this everywhere you go. You don't feel this everywhere you go. Oh, you might you you might you may see some worship and good singing and good and all that, but a lot of it, if you just sit back and you try to feel some anointing from it, guess what? It's no anointing there. It's mechanical. It's programmed. It's the truth, anyhow. It's that's it, brother Darrell. It's entertainment. We whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for us to do, we've got to keep this precious gift that God has given Christ family church. Hallelujah. Bow with me in prayer. Mighty God, as we come today, we thank you and we praise you for this service. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing power that swept through this house today. Lord, seeing and witnessing what we did with Rebecca and others, and hearing these testimonies is worth everything, God. Right now, God, I pray, God, that your strength will go with everyone. We're believing that our brother is going to be completely delivered and has been of this blood pressure. In every other situation, help us, Lord, to never get in a routine. Help us always have a desire to push back the curtain and get into the holies of holies to where your presence dwells. Take everybody home. Keep them safe until it's time to meet again. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Let the church say, God bless you. We love you.